Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications. Thank you for joining us on Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. Today, we're going to meet a man who recently competed on a national game show. We'll also find out about some local history, and if you'd like to find out more, who you can call to get your questions answered. But first, we'll start off with a trip to Mountaintop, where a train is going to be leaving from there in September, and they'd love to have you on board. Let's introduce you to Michelle Riley from the Rotary Club of Mountaintop. And we'll talk a little bit about the Rotary Club in just a little bit, Michelle. But first, the reason you're here is we're going to get on board and go on the train. Where are we going? We are. So our fourth time we're doing this uh, train event, it goes to Jim Thorpe from Mountaintop. What an exciting day we have planned. We go to Old Historic Jim Thorpe. So many things to do there at the shopping and restaurants and museums and art uh, uh, places. It's just a lovely, lovely town. We do it every year. We take about 620 passengers with us. Wow. Pulled by a, a, a steam engine, the 425 to be in fact. If you've done it before, you know what we're talking about. It's quite fun. Uh, this time we moved it back to September 22nd, hoping to catch a little fall foliage on the way. Maybe a little bit after all the wet, the weather that we've had and the rain. So you said you've done this before. Why did they, why did you happen to pick this particular event as part of the Rotary event? You know, it was sort of an accident. It, it, it was the idea was brought to us by another organization. Uh, they kind of asked us to jump in with them, jump on board. No pun intended, but we said yes. Um, and it was such an amazing experience and such a, a huge sellout immediately. People love it so much that we decided to bring it back. And every time we do, it just becomes more and more fun and exciting. And it's growing by leaps and bounds. Now, give us an idea about what happens during the day. So where do you go? How do you right. get there? You, you're our tour guide. So woo-hoo, let's yeah. get on board with Michelle. So you're going to drive into Mountaintop and you're going to go to the Mountaintop Host Company number one, where we have plenty of parking and then we have buses that shuttle you less than a mile away to the Penobscot train yard. Uh, At the train yard is where the train will be and of course that's where we'll board from there. 
train takes you then uh, to Jim Thorpe. Uh, and then you spend the whole day there. And about 3.30 in the afternoon, we start boarding back to head back to Mountaintop, where the buses will be waiting to take you back to your vehicle um, at the Mountaintop Host Company. It works really well. The, nobody waits any more than 20 minutes to get back to your car on the way back. That's uh, great. If it's too warm, we supply everybody with bottles of water. We have an EMT or a paramedic on board if anybody's not feeling well. Uh, we take real good care of you. There is a bathroom on every single train car. And we have about nine train cars that go down at least. Yes. Now, when you're on your way to Jim Thorpe, are there certain things that you're pointing out? Do you have a, a kind of a tour guide? Or? How about this? The train does provide somebody that explains everything on the way through this beautifully Neat. high valley gorge. So you're going to see the river. Sometimes we see whitewater rafting going on on our way down. But they will describe everything to you. We go through two tunnels. Very cool. Nice. Yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> it gets a little dark for a minute. Uh, so, yeah, there is a tour guide. Last uh, year, we actually had someone from Jim Thorpe uh, come on and speak at every train car a little bit about Jim Thorpe. We hand out some pamphlets and some things for you to do when you get down there. That's amazing. And you, so you get there and you're on your own for the day. You are on your own for the day. Absolutely. You can uh, make reservations in advance for restaurants if you want to. But uh, yeah, you're on your own. There's so much to do, so much to see and do. I've done the Asa Packer Mansion and, of course, the prison where they hung the Molly Maguires, um, just to name a couple of things to do, but lots. Well, I would think that especially with the people that you've had on this trip before mm -hmm. that are repeat customers, they give a lot of uh, to the people who are coming that are new. What about kids? It's absolutely kid-friendly. There are so many people that bring their families. Uh, we, lots to do for kids in Jim Thorpe. And you can even get uh, on a bicycle and ride around for the day. You can take a horse and buggy carriage ride in the afternoon. And, yeah, kids love it just as much. Just imagine being a kid jumping on a steam train and being pulled down to Jim Thorpe. It's pretty Who fun. Who knew? They're excited. Who knew there was so much to do? <laughs> Very exciting. So how do we find out about this? So we, uh, to purchase the tickets, we have them on sale on two different avenues. So you can go to the Triangle Pharmacy in Mountaintop, get them in person, or you can go to Eventbrite, uh, www.rotarytrainride.com. We'll take you to Eventbrite, and you can purchase your tickets online if that makes it easier. Then we'll have those tickets for you at the will call table the day of the event ah. so you just come and get them from us that way so those are the those are the two sale avenues that we have now something is telling me that you mentioned 600 people yeah and you've had repeat customers so and we sell out so you want to get your tickets now do not wait till the last minute this is a rain or shine event we don't postpone this or uh you know cancel uh, because of rain thankfully we've never had rain it's Shh. sunshine for us every year <laughs> But yeah, you want to get your tickets now as soon as possible because it, it once it sells out, then it's difficult to add more train cars at the last minute. And, so, and I'm sure that uh, when the Rotary gets together, they have a great bunch of people. We're going to talk about them in a moment. But you also have some sponsors of this. Yeah, I'd love to thank our sponsors. So far, we have on board Zola, Zola Law Offices. We have Orlowski Car Wash. Repeat, thank you to them. Century 21, Smith Horgan Group. Repeat sponsor. Thank you to them. We have NBT Bank, new sponsor this year. Uh, Kavanaugh's Grill, uh, once again, a repeat sponsor. And we're still looking for a couple more. So if anyone would like to be a uh, train car sponsor for $250, please contact us through our Facebook page, the Rotary Facebook page, and uh, that's easy to get to. Send us a message. We answer the same day, um, and then we'll get back to you. So please, looking for a couple more sponsors. 
Well, now that we're talking about Rotary, let's talk a little bit about the Mountaintop Rotary. We are busy. Oh, my yes. gosh. Yes. How about this? We also sponsor a farmer's market every Sunday morning in Mountaintop in front of the Crestwood High School in the parking lot there. Good crowd. Lots of local farmers bring all of their vegetables and fruits and, and um baked goods so you we have just simply desserts and we have um o'hara's orchard um Mm -hmm. oh my gosh it's amazing you don't want to miss that you stock up for the whole week fresh jellies and jams and fresh fruits and vegetables it couldn't be better what time 8 30 in the morning till about one o'clock in the afternoon oh that's great yeah you want to get there early too Uh, Uh, (laughs) fresh eggs the fresh eggs sell out really quick in the morning so you want to get there as soon as you can and that's right in the parking lot at crestwood high school can't miss it right on through 309 so you don't have to make any turns or anything it's just right there straight through yeah now the the rotary club of mountaintop does sound like it has a bunch of fun people we do I'm so tell us a little bit about the organization we, we are so blessed um, we have people from uh, every walk of life and, and people who have been true Rotarians in their hearts uh, giving back to the community and that's what we do this all for because the money goes right back into the community to help these volunteer fire companies and our local libraries and uh, organizations like Live With Autism or Make-A-Wish Foundation and the money just goes all back in and it, we're so p- pleased and thrilled every time we're able to help someone. We also have a 5k event coming up in November. This is the I believe third maybe fourth time we're doing the 5k event. Last year it was a huge success and we were able to help a student at Crestwood High School um, and turn uh, just under $6,000 over to their family to help to help with medical and travel expenses. So that nice. was that was a wonderful, wonderful event. Everybody came out. Um, so you don't want to miss the 5K event coming up. And we'll up, have so more on that as tuned. it gets a little yeah, closer. Yeah, maybe we'll get together again with yeah. all of the information for that, with the details. But uh, really, really growing, and we're happy to see it growing. It does, we call it Conquer the Mountain. So it starts out at Wright Township Park in Mountaintop, and a little bit of hills in Mountaintop, if you're familiar. I did it last year as a walker uh and i did really good i made the whole way my first 5k good for you so lots of fun lots of fun we're busy we're a busy group when so let's talk a little bit about the group uh, because i'm sure that you're always looking for more enthusiastic and energetic people to come and join you we are we meet every wednesday morning at 7 30 (laughs) a.m at the chalet in mountaintop and we are now going to be implementing one evening meeting a month so it'll be three morning meetings, one evening meeting. So if you can't make the morning morning ones, um, contact us. We'll let you know where the evening meeting will be. Uh, and uh, always looking to have a new Rotarian sign up and join our amazing club. We do a lot of good things. And we have business mixers coming up as well. So, uh, yeah, join the Rotary. <laughs> when we talk about the Rotary now, you have uh, you, you've been with the Rotary how long? Five years as a Rotarian. I was the secretary at first, and then um, I somehow quickly became the president. <laughs> so I did a two-year two-year term as the president, and um, then I did vice president, and uh, now I'm just kind of back and down a little bit, bringing uh, some new people up into that executive board level so that everyone can experience the leadership 
part of it, which is, you know, it's fun. It's a it's a growing experience. And you also, um, it's not just the Rotary Club of Mountaintop. There are so many other Rotary Clubs throughout the world. Right. Rotary is worldwide. We're in a district, um, 7410, and we have uh, over 40 clubs just in the local district. So, you know, Hazleton and Wilkes-Barre and um, Scranton and Tunkhannock and Dallas and Plymouth. I mean, every there's all of these wonderful Rotary Clubs around. They all have their own fundraisers. We all try to support each other as much mm-hmm. as possible. Um, so if you can't do the Mountaintop Rotary Club, there, there's other ones out there. So worldwide projects, I mean, Rotary is out there. Um, main focus was to eradicate polio. And over the last several decades, they have been able to do so. There are just a couple cases left in the world. So awesome. besides the polio, uh, clean drinking water, um, putting in wells um, in different parts of the area so that the children going to school can have fresh water. Uh, you know, just projects going on all over the place. It's amazing. So when someone sees that you have a upcoming train ride that takes you from Whitehaven or takes you from Mountaintop through Whitehaven all the way up into Jim Thorpe, it's not just your rotary group. You're actually representing international rotary groups. And we, we sure are. We sure are. Uh, you know, when we do our local things, the money, we keep that money local, though. Right. That money is, is basically going right back into the community. We have a food bank in Mountaintop, so we definitely um, help out uh, funding that project. You know, you would not believe all the families that uh, utilize that. We also do a backpack program for the children in the Crestwood School District to send food home on the weekends in their backpack for them. Believe it or not, there are a lot of students in the Mountaintop uh, School District who are in the reduced meal plan. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, these needs, these needs that we are recognized that they're brought to us. Um, the superintendent of Crestwood is a Rotarian. He's in our Rotarian club. He tells us the needs that are happening in the school district. We jump on and help out. So uh, all of these things that come to us, we know that we need to keep doing these yearly fundraisers because they're expecting our help. And even just as much as... Uh, contributing to the fireworks in Mountaintop every year. So on July 3rd, every year in Mountaintop, there's fireworks. Well, the money has to come from somewhere. So we help out with that. Wow. Um, Yeah, so many wonderful, wonderful things going on. And so much fun. So much fun. All right, I'm going to give you one more time now. Get everybody on board that train. Put on your Michelle Conductor hat and (laughs) let's go. Let's go. September 22nd. Uh, it is a Saturday at 8.30 in the morning. Uh, get to Mountaintop. Get your tickets. Triangle Pharmacy or Eventbrite. Rotary.trainride.com opening in the school district. We jump on and help out. So uh, all of these things that come to us, we know that we need to keep doing these yearly fundraisers because they're expecting our help. And even just as much as uh, contributing to the fireworks in Mountaintop every year. So on July 3rd, every year in Mountaintop, there's fireworks. Well, the money has to come from somewhere. So we help out with that. Wow. Um, yeah, so many wonderful, wonderful things going on. And so much fun. So much fun. All right, yeah. I'm going to give you one more time now. Get everybody on board that train. Put on your Michelle Conductor hat <laughs> and let's go. Let's go. September 22nd, uh, it is a Saturday at 8.30 in the morning, uh, get to Mountaintop. Get your tickets, Triangle Pharmacy or Eventbrite, rotary.trainride.com. Once again, that train ride is September 22nd, and if you would like to find out more, you can go to the Rotary Club of Mountaintop Facebook page or eventbrite.com. And don't forget, they also are selling tickets at Triangle Pharmacy in Mountaintop. 
Now don't go away. We have more special edition to come and in our next segment we're going to meet a woman who is involved with the Daughters of the American Revolution locally and you can join her. Don't go away. Welcome back to Special Edition. Thanks for joining us. Next, we're going to meet Kathleen Smith. She is the regent of the Shawnee Fort Chapter Daughters of the American Revolution. Yes, the DAR still around and thriving. She's going to tell us about what they do here in our area, in particular in the Wyoming Valley. Let's have you explain, because I think a lot of people hear the initials D-A-R. But when you say D-A-R, it means what? Daughters of the American Revolution. And what does that mean? It stands for, it's short for the National Society Daughters of the American Revolution. It's a national society that was organized in October of 1890 in Washington, D.C., And the first local chapter was actually organized in Pennsylvania in 1891. So we, we, Pennsylvania got started in DAR six months after the fact. So what is the purpose of the DAR from the 1800s to 2018? It's essentially the same. It's, we, we um, promote patriotism, historical preservation, education, but now it's a lot different because we no longer wear um, white gloves hats as much. We, we were what you call today's DAR, like after here I'm running to work. <laughs> <laughs> in 1890, they had things, they were the wives of doctors and lawyers and such, and they had servants. And if you go to downtown Wilkes-Barre, the campus, all those grand houses, mm-hmm. that was pretty much the local DAR. That's where a lot of them lived. So these were women. The women who gave back to the community and, and was very very um, pro-historic preservation, even back then. I guess the thing that I think about is when I hear D-A-R, American Revolution, people would think that it was connected with a war effort. They did support the war efforts through the years. They supported, they were very influential in supporting World War I. But these are women and myself, and my daughter just joined. She just turned 18. We trace our lineage back to the American Revolution. Oh. Our patriots either served in the military or supported the war effort by providing goods or services. Uh, some, some women are descended from judges and other influential members of the community mm-hmm. at the time. And if you can prove like that, trace your lineage, you can join the DAR. Oh, so wait a minute now. This brings us to a whole different topic. What is Kathleen Smith's lineage that gets her into the DAR. I joined the DAR in 2002 through a man named Daniel St. Clair. He was in Fisher's Ferry, Sunbury area, and he was in the Battle of Paoli. He was 16 at the time, and he lost his most of his fingers on his left hand and his left eye. And he actually had served under the British and came over. And from what we can gather, he was captured and given a choice. You either switch sides or you're done. Oh. So he chose the right 
course of action. <laughs> and he switched sides. So was he a relative of yours? He was my ninth great-grandfather. Oh, so you were able to trace this. This this is almost like it's a, you're getting a twofer. You're finding out about your family heritage and you're having, and it, it sounds to me like it is very prestigious. We don't discriminate against race, color, creed, sexual orientation, anything like that. I mean, you have to be a woman. But you do have to have, I guess that's where I'm a little confused. You do have to have a lineage? You definitely have to prove your lineage back. Okay. And I've done it five or six times. Wow. We have, I have five or six relatives, but, but um, some of my patriots were captains. Some were uh, drum majors like Daniel, who was 16. And some just served and paid taxes. If you paid the supply tax in Pennsylvania or, or taxes locally, you were eligible because you supported the war effort. Ah, okay. So there is there is a connection to the war effort. Now you said your daughter is 18. Do you have to be 18 to it, become a 18 member? 18 is the youngest, and it goes up until um, there's people that I know that are over 100 years old in it. Then, then the history they must bring. Mm-hmm, absolutely. You were mentioning downtown Wilkes-Barre, and the, a big part of the, um, the DAR and your group is preservation. Correct. And it's throughout the Wyoming Valley, not just Wilkes-Barre. Right. So what are some of the places that you have been involved with when it comes to historic preservation? Well, what we like to do is we do cemetery cleanups. Shawnee Ford is big and we mark a lot of patriot graves. You may recognize uh, we've done Jesse Fell in Hollenbach. We've done, we just did Benjamin Carey in June. He's in Hanover Green. And that's incidentally the oldest cemetery in the area, one of the oldest in the country. It predates the United States. It was founded in June of 1776. Where is that? Hanover Green. Hanover Green. So Hanover Township? Hanover Township. It's right above the San Suey. Oh, okay. And is it a working cemetery today actually, as well? Absolutely. They actually still do burials. That's, see, you're bringing a whole new aspect of when people drive past these different places. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the other things you're also involved with is historic restoration of buildings? Correct. We are very heavily involved in the restoration of the Zebulon Butler House in Wilkes-Barre. We're working closely with the Wilkes-Barre Preservation Society with Tony Brooks. And we actually helped save it from demolition. Um, Tony got a call that it was going to be torn down. Mm-hmm. So... A few of us were around the clock, literally around the clock, standing guard. Not literally standing guard, but <laughs> like watching the bulldozers so they wouldn't get too close. <gasps> and we also helped raise money to purchase it, for the Preservation Society to purchase it. And now we just did a fundraiser at Rodano's, and we just presented the other day a check for over $1,200 to the Preservation Society for the house. So if someone is in the immediate Wyoming Valley area... And there are so many things out there that people don't realize have historic value. I'm sure you've run across that. Mm-hmm. How would they go about getting in touch with you and, and coming along and saying, Kathleen, I heard you and I I think I have something, but I'm not sure. What would you do? I would say contact us on our public Facebook page, Shawnee Fort Chapter NSDAR, and then I would also recommend going to the Wilkes-Barre Preservation Society page because a lot of what we do with the Preservation Society is on there as well, along with walking tours and other historic things that are, are going on in Wilkes-Barre. 
around uh, holiday time, you have different walking tours that you do, especially for uh, Halloween. I don't do them. You don't do them. A lot of times the Historical Society does it, and a lot of times Tony does it. Right. For the Preservation Society. But it's, it's a, again, it's one of those things where if people want to find out about the history of Wilkes-Barre, uh, right off the top of your head, what are some of the other places that people pass every day and may not even, like that cemetery in Hanover, and may not realize what some of the, you said the Zebulon House? Now, where is that? Zebulon Butler House. It's on South River Street, and it's actually the office for the Preservation Society. But it was not never on Butler Street. It was never any other type of house. It was the Zebulon Butler House. And, and Zebulon Butler was actually the, the leader of the Connecticut Army in 1778 during the Battle of Wyoming. And he actually built a log cabin. And then in 1793, he and his son, Lord Butler, enclosed it with a, the house that you pretty much see today. <gasps> and it was moved in 1868 by the family. Can and that's you, the only reason it really survived. Can you imagine moving a house in 1868? I can't. <laughs> that's incredible. Well, we're talking about so many of these different things. And um, you mentioned Tony Brooks because he does do and get involved in all different kinds of restorations and renovations. And you have something coming up where people are going to have an opportunity to hear him speak and also find out more about you what is the event we're very excited to have a world war one luncheon coming up in october it's october 20th at Genetti's, and this year is the 100th anniversary of the end of world war one and tony's going to speak about asher minor who was leader of the 109th during world war one he's a very influential name locally as well it's it's a luncheon that we want to honor the world war one veterans and also celebrate the 100th anniversary of the signing of the armistice. Do you have any World War I veterans that you are going to be able to honor there? I do. I've, I've actually put it out to my members to include their patriots, their, their veterans. And I also have my great-grandfather, Thomas Cochran, was in the ambulance corps. And from what I can understand, all the ambulance training was done in, at the Allentown Fairgrounds. Now, he was originally from, like, California at this time. So he had to go to Allentown, which is where he met my great-grandmother, who <laughs> lived in Allentown at the time. So, And what year was that? 1918, my grandfather was born. And again, imagine traveling to Allentown. So even, it was, it was a long time before the turnpike. Right, right. <laughs> so how do we get the details about the uh, the upcoming luncheon? If anyone knows of any World War I folks who, or if they would just like to attend themselves. You can go on our public Facebook page again, but, you know, and you can give me a call. It's 570-704-9809. And you said it's October 20th? October 20th. But you need reservations by October 6th. And it's going to be uh, Tony Brooks is going to be there speaking on Asher Minor, who led the 109th during World War One. And indeed, we do need to have the uh, reservations. The reservation deadline is October 6th. Where did you find out all the information about your family? My sister actually had wanted to join the DAR. And I'll probably get in trouble for saying this. I said, why in the world do you want to join a group of old ladies. I said, what in the world would you, you know, I, I couldn't understand it. She was dead set on joining. So I said, all right. And then she was unfortunately killed in a car accident. Oh. And so. Before she got to before, join? Before she even really did a lot of the research. She was 19. 
And so I did the research just to see what it was about. And I figured if she wanted to do it, let's look into it, get my mind off things, you know. And so I just, I contacted the local chapter and I joined. But then in, in 2009, I, I broke off from the local chapter and I started Shawnee Fort. You started this? We st- yeah, I started it with, we, we organized with 12 ladies. And what does Shawnee Fort symbolize? We're named after Fort Shawnee, who, which was in Plymouth in 1776 or so. And then it burned down a couple of times and they have yet to find exactly where it was. But what they used to do is they used to take the public into the fort to protect them from Indian attacks and things. In Plymouth? In Plymouth. Indian attacks. Kathleen, you are just amazing when it comes to all these different things. We're going to have to have you back again. Oh, come back anytime. I'm happy to. Absolutely. And again, that is uh, D-A-R, and it, you have your Facebook page, and give us that one more time. Shawnee Fort Chapter N-S-D-A-R. You can also Google us or give me a call. You can find us on the, on the Preservation Society page as well, Wilkesboro Preservation Society. Get a hold of Tony. He'll get in touch with me. It's not hard. I'm all over the place. And indeed she is. That's Kathleen Smith, regent of Shawnee Fort Chapter, Daughters of American Revolution. And a reminder that the World War I luncheon is going to be coming up on October 20th at Genetti's in Wilkesbury, And the reservations must be in by October 6th. If you'd like to find out more, you can find Shawnee Fort Chapter NSDAR on Facebook. Now, don't go away. We have more special edition to come. In our next segment, we're going to meet a local man who gave plenty of answers in the form of questions to bring home some big money to Northeast Pennsylvania and made our area proud. Don't go away. More special edition coming up. Welcome back to Special Edition. Now we're going to introduce you to a man who had the opportunity to take on the Jeopardy board, meet Alex Trebek in person, and also bring home some money. Dave Mattingly joins Intercom's Frank Andrews to talk about his experience as he answered all the questions in the proper form and made Northeastern Pennsylvania proud. And just walked into the studio now, Dave Mattingly. I know, Dave, yes. I have one thing to say to you. Yes. Now, you're you're the old Forge guy that was on Jeopardy. Yes. You shouldn't have made it a true daily oh, double. Wow. <laughs> I was so scared by my competitors that last game. They were both really smart, really quick. I was feeling very squeezed. So I figured this was the only chance I had in the entire game to make some daylight between myself and and them. Do you remember what that question was? It was the uh, 
Central American capital whose oh, yeah, uh, country yeah, 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 yeah. shares the last four letters. And I had never noticed that. So I was standing there on stage trying to, you know, go up Central America, Panama City, Tegucigalpa, um, Belmopan. I just would not come to me. Now, you're an Old Forge native. Yeah. Uh, okay. Actually, no. I, I'm in Davis Grant and I moved to Old Forge about 10 years ago. Though. Okay. So it's, and you're a computer guy? Uh, yes. I work in uh, IT. I'm the director of technology for uh, iGourmet in West Piston. Okay. Okay. You, you are really smart. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I mean, in those in the first couple games, you didn't even have to get involved with Final Jeopardy. Right, right. I I, made, I won so much uh, money, and I just didn't need to, to bet anything at the end there. Can you can you tell us how you get picked to even be on the show? Uh, it's a whole process. Uh, first, about once a year, they hold um, online tests, uh, fifty question trivia tests to be the first step. And if you do well enough on that, uh, the cadets and coordinators will go around the country and invite you to an in-person audition. Uh, you do that, you do another test at the audition, you do a, a mock buzzer game to show that you know how to play the game. Uh, they talk to you to get a feel for your um, your personality. And then at that point, it's a case of don't call us, we'll call you. And you can be called up to about 18 months from that point to come on the show. And it took me about 18 months to be called. So so you actually applied a year and a half ago? Yes, actually that was my third in-person audition at that point. Wow. Yeah, I, I tried out two times before, I didn't get picked, so I just went back through the process and luckily this time it worked out. Now, did you really think that you would be such a great and successful winner? I would certainly hope so, but no. I mean, everyone who makes it to Jeopardy knows their trivia. They're really good game players. And a lot of it just comes down right right down to, to luck, what questions they ask you, and how quickly you can acclimate to the buzzer system. You know, you you watch the categories come up and I and I watched you. How do you know so much? <laughs> <laughs> I have I mean there were categories there I'm thinking, come on, no <laughs> peel back your skin. Let me see the electrodes. <laughs> I have a very good uh, ability to remember useless trivia. <laughs> I mean, it's the kind of thing where I can tell you tons of things about, about state capitals, but I can't tell you how old I am without bringing out the calculator. <laughs> right, I know, I know what you mean. But uh, what was, other than that double jeopardy word, what was one of the hardest questions that you got right? Uh, it's funny because it's been several months since I, I did the uh, the taping. And so a lot of this I had forgotten. Um, wait a minute, no, wait, let me, let me go back. So what we saw yesterday was not, recently taped. It was taped back in April. April? Yes. Okay. So a lot of time it has elapsed between me doing it and me watching it with all of you. Uh, so on, uh, I don't remember which day, but I think it was Mondays, uh, they had a category about uh, title characters. They gave you the title and you say what character involved with. And the bottom clue was the old man in the sea, the man. I'm sitting there watching it uh, just on Monday. I'm thinking, I don't remember what that is. I don't know what a clue was. But there I am, sure enough, buzzing in at St. <laughs> Santiago. So apparently I knew it at one point. <laughs> now, isn't, isn't it true that when they record, they record like six or seven shows a day? It's five a day. So five if you watch day. Monday, that's the first uh, day that, taping of the day, all the way down to Friday being the last taping of the day. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday that I was just on, that was back to back to back. Now, Alex Trebek, nice guy? He, um, your, your interaction with him is pretty limited because he knows all the information. So all your 
you know, you know your, your meetings has to be done in front of the camera. But from what I can gather from him, uh, he would go during the taping breaks to the audience and answer questions. He's exceedingly professional, but he's got a very sarcastic, um, acerbic kind of humor to him. So it's, it's, it's clear that he's having as much fun as he can with the, the position. So was it fun or stressful? It was a lot of fun. Seriously, I was, I was surprised because once I got up on that stage, it wasn't as if I was on camera to national television with hundreds of people watching me right there. It was just me. It was the board. It was Alex. And it was just funny how just I just got into this zone. I got into this tunnel vision. So, so I wasn't stressed at all. So if you go in to get a pizza in Old Forge, does everybody know you now? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's entirely possible, yes. I mean, do people do people recognize you? Yes. I've had a couple of people come up to me and say, hey, weren't you on TV the other night? <laughs> well, but, I'm going to ask you questions. Yeah. So, I mean, they're trying to, trying to fool me. So who, what about this question? What about that question? How much did you win? Uh, I believe the final total with the uh, the consolation prize from Wednesday was seventy nine thousand four hundred. So you walk out there, they hand you a check, or they send no, we'll mail it to I'm you. I'm still waiting for it. It'll be like it's <laughs> about three months after it tapes that they'll they'll send it to you. Wow. So well, you made us proud being in. Thank you so much. I mean, you. I look at. I was watching it going. How does this guy know so much? Where'd you go? Where'd you go to school? Uh, I went to high school at Scranton Prep, and then went to the University of Scranton. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for coming in. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Thank you so much. Dave Mattingly from Old Forge. (laughs) Congratulations, Dave Mattingly, on some games well won. As we continue on Special Edition, we're now going to meet Dave Skutnik. He is with the American Red Cross. Intercom's Nancy Kamen talks to Dave about the importance and the necessity of donating blood. There's still plenty of summer left for many activities. And unfortunately, sometimes those activities take those away who normally take the time to donate at the time of year when those donations are especially needed because more people are traveling and more accidents can happen. He'll be able to tell us the why and the where you can donate and get more great information. Let's talk about blood donation, uh, the importance of giving blood. How often is it that someone actually needs blood? Every two seconds, someone in this country needs blood. The need is tremendous, and it is. It's really 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And the summer is actually one of the most challenging times to keep enough blood on those hospital shelves in case of emergencies. So a lot of times we think about when a tragedy happens and you get a lot of people who then will say, I'm going to go give blood. But as you mentioned, um, it's, it's needed all the time. So people don't think about it in that sense. Right. When, when you get a, a community tragedy to happen, it's actually the blood that's already been donated, you know, maybe a week, two weeks ago, that is actually helping those patients in hospitals at that time. But when you get a tremendous need for blood in the hospitals, you then have to replenish the supplies. So it is great to see everyone turn out and roll up their sleeves when there is that tragic event in the community. But it, it doesn't just take tragedy. You know, it's, it's cancer patients, it's accident victims, it's routine surgery. Those folks all need blood each and every single day. That's a question a lot of people wonder is, is it 
just for an accident. You mentioned other things. Obviously, if there's something traumatic, people are bleeding, they need a blood supply. Uh, but mention some of the other things that uh, the blood goes to, uh, what kind of uh, illnesses and other uh, treatments. Yeah, sure. You have, you know, your accident and burn victims, but then any kind of uh, surgery, uh, heart surgery, they need a tremendous amount of blood for something like that. Organ transplants, you know, the big things. But then, you know, things that you think of that almost every one of us is touched by someone who has uh, cancer, leukemia, sickle cell disease. Those folks all need regular replenishment of their blood supply because of the treatments that they're getting. A lot of times we look at how things are done over time. Is there less people giving today uh, as in the past? Is it the same? Is it uh, more? I'm just curious as to how that goes. I, I think in general you're seeing uh, as the the world uh, kind of evolves that you're seeing, you know, at, at the Red Cross we're seeing fewer and fewer people that want to volunteer. You know, so many people are busy. You now have two working parent families and, and the sports are going all year round. Everybody's just so busy. And that happens in the summer, too, that, yeah, you tend to see that big dip in blood donations at different times of the year, but especially you see it now in the summer. Everyone's so busy. You got vacations. You just don't think about it. And one of our biggest blood donors are high schools and then colleges and universities. They're all off for the summer, so they're not there. So we see about a 20 to 25% drop in blood donations during the summer, and most of that is because the schools are off. It's good to hear, though, that young people want to get involved and want to help out. But as you say, to keep it going, how often can you give blood? You can give blood every 56 days, so about every two months or so. And, you know, just hit us up on the web, redcross.org, and you pop in your zip code, and it'll give you a list of blood drives that are right near. Chances are there's one around the corner from you sometime in the next week. You talk about how busy people are. How long does it take if you're going to say, I want to give blood today? What am I looking at for a time frame of uh, getting in and getting out? If it's the first time you've ever donated, it might take upwards of about 90 minutes, maybe, uh, you know, as long as two hours. But if you've given blood with the Red Cross in the past and we have your health history already on file, that process can take as little as an hour. Does it hurt? It does not hurt. I mean, <laughs> you know, we all we all have to go give blood at some point. The doctor takes it whether we're willing to give it or not sometimes. So, you know, it's it's that little needle stick, but it, it, it does not hurt. I don't I, I don't want to say who can give because I'm, I'm guessing the vast majority of people can. Let's just talk about the few people, uh, you know, certain conditions, I guess, where people cannot give blood. Um, yeah, there are there are a few cases, but um, more often than not. Um, we see sometimes um, uh, women tend to have a lower iron level. That's one of the, the, the registers that we have to check before we can actually take blood. So um, have a glass of orange juice before you come out to, <laughs> to give blood. And that really t- takes care of that nine times out of ten. So um, drinking plenty of water, make sure you're hydrated before you come to give blood. And most of the time, you're going to be A-OK. Most people can give. Is there some, uh, I, I thought I read where certain diabetic uh, medicines might affect blood? Uh, there are a few conditions and a few medications out there that uh, would cause you to be deferred. Uh, we do have that complete list on our website, redcross.org, and you can find out all that information. But, you know, most people, most of the, the healthy living population can give blood without a problem. Right. And, and just so I can say also, if you are diabetic and you control it through diet, then you're not affected at all. So we're talking about, as you mentioned, uh, just a you know, smaller number of people. So you can check it out. What, what's the website again? Redcross.org. All all right. Now, um, let's talk about the different blood types. Some people will say, oh, I have a very common blood type, so it might not be as important for me to give. I mean, that's not true because if it's very common, it's going to be a need more, isn't it? 
Oh, oh, it's a tremendous need. So type AB is the universal plasma type. So actually there's several different types of blood donation. You know, there's whole blood, but then there's plasma, and those can be transfused to patients of any blood type in an emergency. So that AB type is really uh, one that we, we look for, and we encourage everyone to donate every 56 days, you know, as, as you can. Um, but, you know, all the letters, you know, whether you're A, you're B, you're O, you're AB, you're positive, you're negative, <laughs> we do really have that tremendous lead especially now in the summertime of all blood types. Are there any one, uh, is there any one type that you need more of than others? Um, not really. No, you know, it's a, not it's like a, a pretty, rare type or no, it's a pretty general, just that, that AB, as I mentioned is because it's that universal blood type and it can go to any person in an emergency. That's probably the, the one, the, the Holy grail of, <laughs> of blood types would be that AB, but really all blood types are needed to donate all throughout the year. Is there an age limit on donating? Uh, you have to be over 16 to uh, to donate. So, okay. And um, you can do it up until, you know, your later years. You can. We have blood donors that are still in their 80s and even a few in their 90s that have been donating for 50, 60, 70 years. It's amazing. I read something about the Missing Type campaign. What yeah, is that? that? Sure. That's a, that's a program that we're running this summer just to kind of raise awareness. And we're partnering with a lot of different companies out there. Google was one of them, you know. So the... The blood types are A, B, and O. You know, what would the world look like if those blood types were missing? So we actually had Google dropping the O's from Google, you know. Right. Google? I don't don't (laughs) even know what that is. Yeah, Yeah. if if the O is gone. So it's a campaign working with different corporate partners to raise awareness about that constant need for blood. You know, so we partnered with uh, some companies like Google, Domino's, MasterCard, State Farm, uh, just to name a few. Uh, It's a program that actually started internationally because obviously the need for blood is not just limited to the United States. It's a worldwide uh, issue. So it's it's just an awareness campaign um, to highlight some of our our corporate partners. And that's really where we tend to get a lot of our blood in the summer, as I mentioned, the schools during the years. But uh, companies that sponsor blood drives, you know, certainly reach out to us at the Red Cross and give us a call. uh, And and we'll gladly set up a blood drive with you and your company to roll up the sleeve and help save lives. So if someone wants to give, you're talking about as a company, they can set something up themselves. Uh, But what about if someone wants to give listening today, where would they go? Uh, redcross.org, our website, as I mentioned, you can just pop your zip code right on in there and it'll give you a list of blood drives near you. You can also call if you're afraid of the internet. Some of us still are. Uh, 1-800-RED-CROSS and that will also give you that listing of blood drives right near you. How has social media uh, helped in this uh, campaign? We see how social media is helping so many businesses, helping so many organizations. Uh, You really can reach out uh, to, to people immediately. Yeah, it is. It, it, it's just keeping that awareness and keeping that top of mind. I mean, social media is such a blast of information all the time. It, it can sometimes be information overload. So, you know, we try to just be one of the messages that are out there uh, delivering help and hope uh, when people are in need. And uh, finally, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I thought if, if people want to know about what to do prior to giving blood, is there anything in particular they need to prepare uh, for this with? Um, yeah, you know, just make sure you're you're eating a healthy breakfast, the glass of orange juice, stay uh, hydrated, and then if you want to save time at the blood at the blood drive, we do have 
something called Rapid Pass. You can actually complete some of that online or even download our Rapid Pass app on your phone. You can fill out some of that health history information and that'll kind of push you uh, up towards the front of the line when you walk into a blood drive and, and get you in and out even faster. Especially if you have not done so before, right? So that helps you speed the process up. Yes, absolutely. You know, whatever you can complete on the on the phone before you get there will also uh, speed things up and help you save lives even faster. Let's just mention a couple of the ways people can get in touch with the American Red Cross. It is uh, on the web at redcross.org. You can also follow us, uh, like us on Facebook at American Red Cross Eastern Pennsylvania Region or on Twitter at Red Cross East PA. And if, again, you're not one of those social media types, you're not one of those Internet types, the phone works too. 1-800-RED-CROSS for all kinds of Red Cross information. And the number for our local office here is 570-823-7161. Dave Scottnick, Director of Communications for the Red Cross Eastern Pennsylvania. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks. Before we wrap up things this week on Special Edition, let's tell you about some things that are coming up next week in Lackawanna County. The Pennsylvania Council on the Arts announced that free tickets are available for the upcoming Governor's Award for the Arts. Governor Tom Wolf will be in town at the Scranton Cultural Center at the Masonic Temple on August the 8th at 7 p.m. Leading up to the award ceremony, there's a series of free community arts events starting on August 1st. Pennsylvania Arts Film Screening. There will be the Scranton Fringe Festival Guide Launch. Also, the Scranton Jazz Festival, the Lackawanna Arts Fest, Architectural Building Tour, as well as the Arts and the Public Good, a forum the afternoon that the governor will be at the Scranton Cultural Center. Now, if you would like to find out more or get any of the free tickets to the events, you can contact the Scranton Cultural Center or go online to scrantonculturalcenter.org. The 2018 award ceremony will recognize five honorees and include a special performance by Martin Guitar Musicians. Mark the calendar for August 8th, 7 p.m., the Governor's Awards for the Arts in Scranton. And also a reminder that immediately before the ceremony, a celebration of the region's arts and culture will take place in front of the Scranton Cultural Center on North Washington Avenue. It's dubbed Cirque de Scranton. The showcase features 28 different artists and cultural organizations from the greater Scranton area, and that is also free. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories, a production of Intercom Communications. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.